Hello and welcome to Gaming the Podcast. My name is John Robertson. I'm joined by Stace Harmon and together we are Indie by Design. This week we're talking about Metal Gear Solid 1 and specifically we're talking about the opening hour from that game, from the moment that Snake first emerges from the water up to and including the Revolver Ocelot boss fight. We're talking about what makes it so special, what makes the opening memorable, what makes it worthy of replaying and appreciating and talking about it on a podcast. Now, a few months ago, we did a podcast that focuses on Hideo Kojima himself, the designer of Metal Gear Solid, so do go back and check that out if you haven't already. And if you're watching on YouTube, then you will see a handy little link to that episode in the video right now. It's also worth mentioning that we'll be coming back to talk about Metal Gear Solid again in a few weeks when Metal Gear Solid 2 celebrates its 20th anniversary. So follow and subscribe to catch that episode as well. Um, but... For now, for this episode, we're all about Metal Gear Solid 1, so probably makes sense seeing as we're talking about the opening hour to talk about the opening minutes from, you know, that moment where Snake comes in through the waterways, uh, comes up into the little storage area uh, before getting up the lift to go into the Shadow Moses facility properly. Uh, Stace, we've both played it recently. Um, what, what was it like playing those opening minutes again? I mean, it, it's just ridiculously good, isn't it? I mean, it's like it's... I remembered that it was good. I played it... I originally played it back in 98 when it was released and replayed it recently. Um, it's Yeah, it's amazing how well it stands up. It is an incredible introduction to a game and to a story. But I think specifically for me to a game, the, the fact that it's an introduction to a game is an important part here. Obviously, you know, that's not I'm not stating any um, groundbreaking news there. But to think about how it introduces the concepts, how it introduces the the language of the game and how you're going to be interacting with this thing for the next however many hours, 10, 12, however long it takes you. Um, it does it in an incredibly... Intri- intriguing way but engaging way like it's so yeah you you're set up as being snake solid he's 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 solid snake rather he's um snake solid he's he, snake <laughs> solid uh, he's he's quite a grounded dude there is some stuff that we'll talk about later about his interactions with other people but like he's very much this you know effortlessly cool kind of like you know super secret agent and he's quite self-deprecating in in certain places but it that little tiny opening where you emerge out of the water and there's two guards on a patrol route and you're learning how you're going to be playing this game does more, I think, like in a more concise way than a lot of, I think, more modern games do in their first sort of two or three hours. It's it's an incredibly well curated little uh, introduction to, to the character, to the story, to the stakes. It sets the stakes very high, very early. Mm-hmm. Um and I was thinking that, like, it feels like it, what would in some games be sort of the ramp up towards the climax of the game here is like the introduction to the game. It's yeah. like there's you, you're, you're assaulting this base, not because you've spent 10, 15 hours sort of learning how to be snake, snake solid, and then going and, and sort of, you know, storm the base. It's like, you, this is right from the off. This is what you're doing. And I think that is it. Yeah, it's just like a no nonsense introduction. It kind of, it gets to it straight away. And that's, I... I think particularly appreciate that after playing perhaps some more what feel like bloated games by comparison. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, it is, it's cool. It's a great introduction to the story, to the character, to the mechanics. It's just, yeah, it's like an, an awesome introduction to a game. It's kind of how to do, how to do an introduction to a game as far as I'm concerned. It's, yeah. 
yeah that that sort of like it doesn't it doesn't sort of in quotes like waste any time getting no. you getting you to the meats like not only mechanically and like you know like uh you have to avoid these two guards to get up into a lift and in, in order to do that you need to use stealth to do that. You can't just sort of go gung ho and but you don't even them. have any weapons, right? Like, I mean, initially yeah. you don't even, you don't actually have a weapon. It's all it's all uh, on-site procurement or OSP, as they say in the yeah. in the voiceover. I like the little like colloquial, um, little, you know, contractions yeah, and, and the COA, initialization the course of action. Yeah, it, exactly. Um, <laughs> Some of which are unnecessary, like that. Yeah, no. It's even in the subtitles. It even says COA brackets course of action. So, all right. <laughs> Thank you, because I would not have understood that. Um, but yeah, the fact that you don't have a gun, and so the so it does really interesting. Like it, it, it kind of forces you or encourages you, and teaches you that it's a stealth game immediately, uh, which you kind of know already because it says like in the, it's kind of in it's in the title, uh, tactical espionage action. Like so, espionage e. is yeah the e, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you don't have a gun, so you can't just take on these guards. You have to you have to avoid them. And the fact that they've got vision cones, which is so mechanical, but it's show it's it's telling you avoid, avoid, avoid. Mm. So the mm. game is about avoiding stuff immediately through its visual presentation in how that, that radar works. Um and it also does an interesting thing when you when you approach the lift and then the colonel comes onto the codec and you and he says about what's he gives you some more exposition and then he says now go find somewhere to hide the lift until the lift comes down and so you go find somewhere to hide probably most people i imagine i did if you're watching the youtube video now you'll see me playing it i hid behind the forklift truck the forklift. thing yeah um they even put a little pickup there i think there's the some some a ration there. Yeah. yeah they even put a little pickup there as a little like you can stand over here yeah. well you can't just stand there can you i think you do still have to move because the guy depending on the patrol route uh depending on wait how quickly you've done that he will sort of come up one side and then go around the other and you have to kind of move you don't just stand there literally doing nothing waiting for the lift yeah although i think i did just stand there doing nothing so i think you can't although, oh, okay. although he did right. he did he timing, did he did come and look but he looks like just directly at the forklift and not through it <laughs> um Top guarding there but uh, but the lift takes a long time to come down it does so it so does. it's teaching you that this is a game of patience and mm -hmm. it's a game where it's not just about getting from a to b as quickly as possible like it's not only a stealth game like get here to here as quickly as possible it's you'll need to wait you'll need to mm. overcome these guards over a period of time um like it's not a race it's not a race to be stealthy it's not a race to be invisible it's constant awareness and constant reaction to what the enemies are doing okay our bite the 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 patterns that the guards use are very predictable and the vision cones mean that you're always you're always you've always got the upper hand against them because you know exactly what what they can and can't see but that i think one of the strengths of it is that even though it's so mechanical like that it never feels anything less than tense like it never it yeah. never takes away yeah. from the drama it never takes away from the feeling that you are this guy who's alone and i think that's another important thing as well for uh, in this very opening uh, sort of little area mm. you're alone like you've come from underwater it's like the most alien environment for a mm -hmm. human to be you come up you talk to someone who's god knows how far away on the codec you very quickly know or come to learn that even the people on the other end of the phone don't know really what's going on mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they tell you up front that you're alone. It's like there's no backup. There's no, this isn't, you know, you are officially, you're not here. Officially, you don't exist, etc. So there's no, don't expect, yeah, an airdrop of supplies in, you know, 10 minutes. That's That's not happening. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, like, you've got all of these, in, and this is in the first three or four minutes of the game. Mm. You're given so much on on that narrative level, on the mechanics level, on the uh, being upfront with you about what kind of emotions and what kind of pacing, like what kind of emotions you're going to be feeling and what kind of pacing you're going to have to adapt to and uh, take advantage of ultimately in order to get through whatever situations are going to come. So even though that that sequence is so basic it's just a little square room with square blocks placed around and two guards moving around it and then all you've got to do is get to one point hide wait get into the lift um it's so dense it's so full of communication on all on all different levels Uh, it's just so Mm. it's so cleverly designed in a way and it pumps you pumps information in uh, okay, some of the, the codex sequences are quite long, um, certainly for a game at that time as well. Like taking you out the action for that length of time was kind of unheard of, really. Um, yeah, I do, but I think that does fit into the patience thing as well. And I and I did feel at the time, and I think having replayed it recently, I still felt that those were they serve often as like you know narrative as reward. Uh, you do a lot of sneaking around. There is that tension. They serve as like the quiet. Um, kind of troughs in the peaks and troughs cycle where it's like okay now I get mm. to I get to kind of chill out I get to relax and, and listen and yet I mean sure they can go on a bit and they they are also somewhat on the nose but I think retrospectively that's part of the charm like it's you know it's it's what elsewhere might be kind of like cliche and hammy it kind of it is that but in an endearing way because it's it's so good at everything else. So it's like, you know, I don't mind that. I'm, I know that that's kind of how it works with these games 20 years on, 20 odd years on. So yeah, I don't, and I, the codex stuff, I think what I, I like particularly, although yes, it can be exposition heavy, they're teaching you how to play the game. And I like what it, what they've chosen to do. There's some very overly complex, like convoluted explanations mm narrative explanations for in-game mechanics that i that i love i just think it's great it's like even the way they talk about you know they so they they talk about like uh recording your data or this is this is a dedicated channel for recording your data Mm. i.e saving your game codec channel or this is a um like here's how key cards work so you approach the door and it uses your body's own electrical field to transmit via your body salts a signal to the door to open the door it's like it's ludicrous but it's awesome. But I love it. It's a very complicated way of saying you approach the door and the door will open. You know, it's yeah. so, like, okay, got it. Cool. But I, I like that they address that in game. And there's like a, there's an, there's a narrative reason for how and why that stuff works all the way down to, you know, him taking his cigarettes with him and being able to use that later on with, to see like uh, infrared beams and stuff. Um, so I, yeah, I always felt that I always felt like it was almost a, a, a little reward uh, and it was, I think the pacing of it is such that you don't always know when that's going to happen. I think there's a bit where you're crawling through a vent very early on and you get a codec call and it's like, yeah. that wouldn't necessarily be where you would put that. They that's, would normally be more. That's you know, a McDonald it, Miller. Follow yeah. the, follow oh, the mice. Yeah. 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 yeah that's uh yeah. We, we won't spoil spoiler anything, that. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, 
Yeah, I, I remember, um, did you ever play, I think we might have mentioned this on the Kojima episode, I can't remember, so we'll just keep it short, mm-hmm. but the, um, you know an opening of a game is really good when, on the old PS1 demo discs, I had the Metal mm-hmm. Gear Solid demo, and I believe it uh, it ends as you go into the air vent. So you've got the opening sequence that we just spoke about, mm-hmm. you come up in the water and you go up in the lift, and then you're in Shadow Moses properly, you see liquids fly off in the hind d helicopter and they're like a russian yeah. hind d what is that yeah. doing here <laughs> what's that doing um <laughs> and then you go through the vent either the one high up or the one low down yeah um and then i believe the demo ends there i think it does um mm-hmm. but anyway yeah. it's a really short demo um but i remember playing that with friends Re- like a hundred times yeah like like yeah, not absolutely. wanting to play other whole full games that we had just like yeah. play that metal gear demo again um so you know games and obviously at that age i wasn't really thinking about it how i'm thinking about it now didn't really know mechanically or what it was sort of emotionally pulling me in one way or the other as to why it was so good but um you know the game's got something when you you know someone chooses to play the demo disc and okay you could say i was younger i didn't have all the money to spend on games that i do now so I was limited on choice, but still, there, there were other options, and that was mm. the choice. So mm-hmm. that's that opening that you'd already played forty nine times. Oh, I'm going to play it for the fiftieth time today. Yeah, and then, and yeah, and I did, I did do the same. Uh, yeah, I did that a lot, and I think yeah, Metal Gear Two we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. But that was a, a similar thing with that. I remember, I remember showing people the introduction, and this this was a bit different because it was just like the opening cutscene and the music, which was just phenomenal. And I remember putting that on to show people, you know, be like, oh, you have to see this thing. And it was, yeah, same with the demo for Metal Gear Solid 1. Um, and I was looking at the other games that came out around that. And there was a couple of years period where there was, you know, you had things like Metal Gear Solid and you had Half-Life and you had Resident Evil and Tomb Raider and Soul Reaver and a bunch of other stuff, Final Fantasy 7. I mean, it was, and a lot of those games have got incredible intros as well. Um, mm. So it was a... I don't know. It feels like there was, it was more of the time. Like I would, off the top of my head, I would struggle to think of a game more recently that's, that has really grabbed me. Like there's games that have gone the other way. The intro to cyberpunk, I was not, I was not in, like you can compare and contrast those things. It's like, this puts you in a virtual shooting range to teach you how to use a gun in Mm. cyberpunk. Metal Gear just puts you in the thick of it and tells you to get on with it. And also that it's worth just to jump back to that little opening bit with that, that square room. Mm. I also like how that it's a bit like a, like a holding pen. And as you say, you have to wait a certain amount of time for the lift. So you have to wait for the game. The game doesn't necessarily just act on your, your input. Um, but you are given the ability to make mistakes in that area and it not be devastating. It's like there's mm. a room enough and, obstacles enough it's a very strangely laid out room in you know in in real world terms but who cares about that uh to then run and hide again or even you know even if you die you haven't lost progress because you've been stood waiting for something so if you do get killed it's like well okay you just restart and you do it again there isn't like oh i've got to now go back 15 minutes and and reload my checkpoint or whatever so it's it's a i think it's doing multiple things that opening area is doing multiple things without you even realizing that it is yeah. um and yeah and then and then going through it and going yeah you ident- you see the base and then going through those vents that as i was struck by that as well you go through those vents what feels like a long time mm. i think for longer than you would be allowed to now or, or than you would be than would sort of be 
put upon you it would it would be more like immediate yeah, and this is almost like, like and a I, fast travel to like section two yeah and this is like a this is a conveying part of that for me is like a conveying how vast this complex is that you've entered into and setting up that it's just little old you tiny little solid snake and you're going into this fortress that is huge and is very well armed and you know it's like that is a Again, it's just setting up that kind of David and Goliath um, yeah. dynamic, which I think works really well as as well. Yeah, it's interesting that, yeah, what you say about that opening room being small and that gives you a chance to make mistakes because you're not, yeah, you're not punished through time if you have to restart it. Like the the opening bits of the game are very modular, actually, when you think about it. There's that opening bit on the elevator, there's the next bit on the helicopter sequencing, and then you're introduced to the idea of cameras at that point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you go through the vent and then you're in that room with the tanks and then you go and see Meryl and et cetera. It's very modular, very like boom, 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 very mini levels until the game opens yeah. up a bit, a bit later, but we're not allowed to talk about that because we're only doing one hour, mm-hmm. <laughs> first hour, <laughs> uh, very modular until all the way through you get to the boss fight. Now here's the boss fight module, the ocelot mm-hmm. module. It's mm-hmm. all placed in and then you go, then you start backtracking, going back and forth through the base um, a bit later. Um but it's very interesting. The the modular thing as well, this is not the smoothest segue in the world, but um, <laughs> it reminds, uh, when I was doing some research for this, I was looking at like making of um, videos and reading some stuff. And the modular um, element kind of feeds into um, the visual design, like how the camera work is, mm. is designed. Um, in that, so like some of those other games you mentioned, like Final Fantasy, like Resident Evil, um, it uses fixed camera positions. And Metal Gear, Metal Gear Solid for a lot of the time is kind of a 2D game. Like it's a top-down game yeah. for a lot of its running time. It's top-down. And then in certain sequences where it makes sense in terms of the camera angle, uh, the, the, the fixed camera position changes to another point, like an isometric point or behind you or in front of you or whatever and in some some instances you can't actually see everything in the room at that point so like you can't see like items that be hidden behind stuff or whatever until mm. you nudge up against the wall and then the camera changes or that sort of stuff but you know resident evil and final fantasy use those fixed camera positions but metal gear solid takes it a step further in that it uses the fixed camera positions but if you put snakes back against the wall then you know i use that as like a way of seeing right so you kind of yeah. see into yeah. the level yeah. in a different way so you know what's coming up i always hated using the first person i always felt so vulnerable just standing there pressing triangle and looking in first person and looking around so, mm. oh there's a guard right there two meters away oh my yeah. god um, run 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 um but the way that they did that the way that apparently the way that they well it's just not apparently it is there's video of them doing it the way that they chose how to use their camera angles was and this is the modular link they made lego models of the (laughs) areas and they got a mini camera and would like use them use the mini camera and just move the camera angles around to see Mm -hmm. what looked good in Mm -hmm. the little lego models that they um that they made so i think that's quite interesting from sort of like a historical perspective that kojima was wanting to do it that way so that he could see all the time how the player how yeah. his fixed camera would impact the player's sort of like emotional reading and information gathering skills but also how the player could in, interact and in, uh, interrupt i suppose his director's eye on it that that kind of 
one-to-one i want to know every single thing that's much more like a filmmaker that's much more how a filmmaker would go about seeing it and want to be in total control of every piece of visual information that the player is being given to at any one point and even when the player decides okay i want to now nudge up against this and see a different angle well it's like okay fine you can do that but i'll decide what that angle is mm-hmm. uh, unless yeah. you go into first person which completely changes that but that first person mode it's, it almost makes me believe like he made it bad on purpose because he didn't want you to use it um it was just <laughs> I always so used bad it as a glancing like as a i can kind of see my surrounding area i'm looking at the the radar thing and then it was just like a quick switch to first person to I suppose to, to see confirm. what was the end of the what yeah was that it was the like to confirm the, what I yeah. think is already going on right like, yeah and then I would come out of it quite quickly it was yeah I was never I'd never spent much time in it either and it, it does put you into it when you like crawl under something doesn't it if you crawl under a, yeah, a vehicle or something it puts you into it yeah, like that, which, the yeah. obviously as well yeah, but course, yeah, they're almost yeah. like unique separate sections that are or unique visual moments that are separate from the game game you know what I mean yeah. of course they're yeah. not but yeah, sure. Well, it, it raises the tension going through the under a vehicle in particular, or under crates or whatever it might be, under like racks or something. Um, then you can see what Snake would see, and you don't get the benefit of the like the zoomed yeah, out yeah, perspective. Yeah. You, it's almost it, like it, a horror game at that point. Yeah, like, it's like you're, the unknown is out there, and I'm kind of safe in here. But at some point, I've got to stick my head out and risk it being you know bitten off by the proverbial monster. And so, yeah, that, the the top down to to just go back to the the camera for a moment the the top down camera particularly i always felt that that was like a oh it always fit for me like the the tactical element of tactical espionage action was like that is how you play like you know perhaps like a, an rts or something like that's how you play tactical tactical games is from that kind of tactical top down view of what you're looking at and i always felt that was again like another tie to the narrative of somehow you're snake but you're also like the people that have deployed snake and you're using him as a resource, you know, you're moving him around this map and it's like, he is a, a piece on a game board kind of thing. And and that, you know, that again ties into the narrative that happens later yeah. on, which we won't spoil too much, but, and and it's also clear from the stuff that perhaps we can talk about the interactions he has with some of those people on codec. Mm. As you mentioned, it's, it's evident that they don't know everything that's going on, but it's also evident that he doesn't, he either doesn't entirely trust them or he isn't surprised if they are holding something back. Cause he said he alludes to that a couple of times. Like, you know, are you lying to me or what are you not telling me? He understands kind of his place in the game and knows that there's probably more at stake or more at play here than he's being told. So that kind of use it, deploying him into the field and moving him around as a, as an expendable resource. I think kind of it always, I liked that the way that fit for me, the way it kind of, it felt to be doing that yeah. and be sort of complicit in that. Yeah, and I think that expendability um, element and him being alone and vulnerable, uh, I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, but I guess that the the 2D top-down perspective exacerbates that because Mm. you're looking at him, you're looking down upon him. So that always, that's always like, you know, he feels vulnerable. He seems very, he doesn't seem overly powerful. Uh, That would be like low angle, like would make him feel like the the, the superhero angle. It's almost dehumanizing um, kind of like it's yeah, yeah so so you're almost like looking at this poor guy who's almost in like a sort of test chamber of course he's not a poor guy like he's really tough and he saves the day eventually and whatever but um you know yeah that that is a way of just instantly making you feel like you're in 
charge of someone who is fragile like he's mm. he's he's not a superhero even though he kind of is um but you know he's not a superhero in the same way as like marcus phoenix or master chief or whatever who are always or would never be presented like that like that no, would be like no absolutely. way are we having marcus that, phoenix and that angle right and that do you know that actually ties in something i'd happen to notice that i wasn't re- going to mention because it's, it's unremarkable in and of itself except i'm now going to remark on it because it ties into that very much that I like that when you come up into that first room, he sits there and you see him, you don't see it entirely, but you see him start to take off his flippers, right? And I was thinking along those exact lines, it's like, you wouldn't see many other video game characters do that. That's like, there's an attention to detail there of, he is a person, he's got here in some way, and that's that's spoken about in the intro, that you're going to have to swim from a certain point onwards. And he sits there on the dock and takes off his flippers. And that's quite a... It's not that it's like unempowering. Yeah, it is. It is humanized. It's, yeah, it's not that it's like unempowering or disempowering. Yeah. It's just that it is. It's like oh, he's he's he yeah. is just a man, or you know, is how he's presented. Because yeah. you wouldn't see Marcus Phoenix taking. Well, off a pair I of mean, flippers, come for on, example. Marcus Phoenix would never need flippers. He no, swims he as run fast as a dolphin. The, yeah, exactly. he'd run along the bottom of the ocean. Bed, yeah, he's just sonic it along the bottom of the ocean, like destroying all <laughs> coral in his wake. Just this incredible environmental disaster as this tank of a man runs. It's just collateral damage. <laughs> yeah, got to do what I got to do. So. Yes, so it is, yeah, so there is a little nice little touch there of, of that, that humanising. And another element, I think, that does that, as <laughs> as thirsty as some of these characters are when they're talking to each other, and it's it's a, a bit of an odd thing, and it's a bit of a, uh, you know, roll, roll your eyes when they're talking to each other about strip searches and other stuff. It's, it's also, there is a moment that I like when, uh, I think it's Meryl, uh, after you've met her for the first time, she then contests you on Codec, and... She says, oh, it's the living legend. You know, I'm, I can't wait to meet you. Or I can't wait to, you know, see you again or whatever it is. It's like, you know, I didn't think I'd ever meet the living legend that is Snake. And he says, well, yeah, I think actually the, you know, you'll, you'll get over that when you meet me in person because I can't possibly live. The man can't live up to the legend, mm. which I think is quite a, it's, it's a very, uh, you know, oft used sentiment. But for him to use it about himself and to be him, for him to be aware of his own legend and be like, yeah, don't, you know, don't get too excited. Are you? And I was comparing that to somebody like the films of the time. So like, say the James Bond films is probably an mm. obvious touching point. Around that time, it was like the time of Goldeneye when yeah. Pierce Brosnan was, would, would never have been self-deprecating in that way. That character that he embodied as James Bond would, would have, was like... You know, it would have been more, oh, was I everything that you dreamed I would be kind of thing. Whereas yeah. in, in this instance, he's very like, no, that that's just all bluff and bluster. And that's for other people to decide what I am and, and you know, how they view me. I'm just a guy doing a job kind of thing. And that, I liked that. It was That was quite a grounded uh, way of talking about himself as well. Yeah, that's interesting because at the time... I remember, um, you know, this is when I was like, you know, consuming every single word in multiple games magazines every single Mm -hmm. month that they were released. Um, And a lot of reviews for Metal Gear Solid, a lot of the commentary around Metal Gear Solid would compare it to things like James Bond directly Mm -hmm. and say Mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, this is a spy thriller in the vein of James Bond. But beyond the fact that there's like a secret base with a sort of maniacal bad guy, it's not really. Like Snake was nothing like any of the James Bonds. Uh, Maybe like the Timothy Dalton one was like the closest one, but 
Like, still, no, not really. Like, mm. it, it was nothing. And the emotion around the film, the, the sense of um, the feelings that it generates in you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, you're right. Like, it's nothing like, nothing like um, James Bond. Like, you couldn't imagine Snake being happy going to, like, a fancy... <laughs> like gown (laughs) ballroom events with chandeliers and canapes and you know and sort of fitting in there and sort of taking a favorite cocktail no i don't i don't no chance um so i don't i go it's kind of i mean when i was younger i just sort of took that as like oh yeah okay i get it um Mm. but i i get the i get the comparison but looking going certainly because i played through this last year as well i played through this whole Mm. thing last year uh or the ages of podcast in 2020 um and then played it for this um so i've uh, yeah and since playing it as someone who's older i just don't um i don't want to sort of bang on about the games press like we were both members of it for a long Mm -hmm. time but Mm -hmm. um yeah like that's just such a pointless comparison it is it's a little bit of a lazy comparison it's easy to yeah i guess it's a one man you know one man army although that's referenced as well in in the game as well but yeah it's yeah it's an easy touching point but not a particularly accurate one or useful one and i think it does a bit of a disservice uh to snake and to the writing of snake um yeah yeah. i think another thing as well and this is again terrible segue but it's um something about it it, it it is that so emotional side of it still the game's really unique visually and one of the things i think is quite interesting that it uses in engine graphics for the cutscenes, which mm-hmm. is you know other games at a time resident evil didn't do that final fantasy 7 didn't do that um, really didn't do that <clears throat> yeah and then this uses in-game graphics and obviously the graphics are not as good but the gra- uh, as as cgi or or in a traditional way of determining value they're not as good but um for this i think they're they're way better than if it would be cgi of course it's it's hard to imagine it without it at this point but um it it makes by comparison it makes the non it makes the gameplay bits seem more important and more connected because you're not waiting or you're not switching backwards and forwards between like oh here's actually what these characters really look mm. like guys mm-hmm. like this is the important bit this is the story this is what they really uh this is how they really move and this is how they really look and whatever and this is these are their real facial expressions um no they don't do any of that they just use the same basic character models and they're and they're confident enough um to have like the camera panning into close-ups to their faces yeah. that yeah. are just like pixelated kind of in you know like, like barely eyes. human because everybody's got their eyes closed yeah. yeah yeah um but i think and this was something that was like really really came out playing it um playing it in advance of this for me it's something that really shone um was like yeah the that that does create more connection to the game as a game than it would if those cutscenes were you know yeah. what metal gear went on to be with all the fancy cutscenes and stuff yeah. but um yeah i thought, I thought that was... it would always be i think it's always slightly jarring even almost imperceptibly so but it's slightly jarring when you have when you do have cutscenes, and i understand why you know particularly of the time to, like tomb raider did it using like cg cutscenes that look amazing or at the time looked amazing you know whatever particularly in comparison to the the actual character models but there's always that slight moment when you then 
I don't know, you pick up like a really fancy weapon in the CG cutscene and then you get it in the game and it actually it's just like this, you know, rectangular thing. It's like it does it's it's just ever so slightly disappointing. And I think like Final Fantasy VII did what? That had like a mix of both, didn't it? It had like the super fancy CG and then it would also have like other ones with just the character models standing there having a chat with each other. So yeah, I think it it it's the the less or the fewer times that it kind of jars you out of that, the better. And it and it speaks to the, I think, some of the art direction and the, the sound design in particular is incredible in Metal Gear Solid. Like the attention to detail in that, I think there's the scene where uh, you're talking to the DARPA chief in a cell and Meryl is in the next cell. And it pans over and you see her with her ear against the wall and it's like slightly muffled and then it pans back and it's them talking it, but it's kind of echoing a bit because of the nature of the facility. You know, there's no soft furnishings in this cell. It's like, it's echoing because that's what it would do. And there's, there's just little, again, it's like the attention to detail. I think it's just little things that, that don't take you out of the game or they very much keep you in the game, whichever way round, but you often notice it more when something takes you out of the game. So that's kind of why it's kind of phrased in that way. Um, that work really well, I guess the, and then the combining of, so like the whole, the code is on the CD case thing. I mean, that for me is like a bigger thing than Bioshocks, would you kindly? Like that is a, because it's quite naturally done. It's, it you know, like Bioshocks, would you kindly, as, as clever as that is in game, is a bit like, like gets hammed up a bit. It gets a bit like, let's spend 10 minutes talking about this, how clever this particular mechanic is. Snake's version of that is, yeah, the the code that you need is on the CD case. And they've, they've, I think, set that up well. Uh, and I think that's probably okay to say about this because it's very difficult. That it's very unlikely that if you play Metal Gear now, that you're going to play it on a PS1. And if you do play it on a PS1, there is a literal codec frequency that's printed on the back of the CD case in a screenshot. And that's what they're referring to. In the, uh, if you play it now in a more modern way, I'm not sure what it what Well, even what is happens is, because I played a PC port uh, last year, I believe what she says is look at the screenshots, and it's the screenshots on GOG include right. that that codec. Right. Okay. So that, and it's set up, and, and the, the way I think that's set up is something I've already kind of talked a little bit about, is that that in-game explanation for game mechanics, things like saving the game or things like, you know, bringing up the codec. You've got the kernel literally talking to you saying, if you need to bring up the codec, press the select button. And then, you know, if you if the codec beeps, press the select button to answer it. And it's like, okay, that, I'd much rather that than having a message on the screen in like, yeah. you know, like just that doesn't well, belong in either the game world or in the real world. And it's just yeah. there to tell you this bit of information that you need to know that they don't have a better way of conveying. It's like, well, here they've just committed to telling you everything in game, which is, which I think works all the better for it. Again, yeah. it keeps you more in the game. Well, that's one of the things that adds to, because playing this through, um, again, like the, the game doesn't feel old really. Well, in, no. cer- in certain ways it does. No. Of course it does. Like te- on the it technical level, it's old and whatever. But, um, yeah, all those things that you've said, like the CD case, the sounds, the the lack of menus. Apparently, one of the things that Kojima Kojima was a great admirer of Final Fantasy VII and the way it did a lot of things, but he didn't like that it used so many menus. I don't mm-hmm. know how he expects them to get away from the menus in a game like that, but whatever. He didn't like the menus, and um, or at least he didn't like it to the point that he didn't want it in his games. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he uses the codec as a way to kind of get around that. So there's no pause 
kit save go in i mean technically there is because you still yeah. open codec yeah. go to mailing save um but it's all given a an in-world reason for you yeah. making those actions um so i think that's that that like sort of rejection of other uh, extraneous elements that don't relate yeah. to what snake's experience is the removal of that uh, one of the things that make it feel still quite um modern uh, and there's other things as well it's like when even though like the enemies are really basic in their patrol patterns and they kind of got to be because otherwise the game's going to be way too hard and way frust- way too frustrating mm. but uh and they're kind of dumb <laughs> like they always just follow the same route their vision is i mean i don't know how you get hired in the army and you can't and they're supposed to be genetically modified to like be amazing as well they can see about three meters um so i don't know i don't know how they got that gig but um don't know don't know um don't know how that worked or who, whoever the decision maker is there might need to sort of need to have a look in the mirror if they can even see the mirror because it's so bad eyesight but um they talk to each other so that just makes them feel like just just that tiny bit, that just very simple mm. act of adding these just like pieces of dialogue to each other. And they're not always talking about like I can't remember any specific lines, but I don't remember them. They're not only just talking about their life as a guard or go and check over no. there or whatever. <laughs> um like they're just talking. Um there's only one or two lines, but it's just those little elements that just make the game feel like a world so it makes it feel like a real place and you're a real character doing real things and i think that's how it still it still feels quite modern and sort of set the tone really i mean it was copied so much and so many elements of it were taken by other games not necessarily copied but used as sort of benchmarks for how to do things uh and it's and it's those feelings that it gives you that emotional response that you have to it through those things makes it feel still quite modern and i think you can probably trace back as that being the starting point for a lot of modern norms in gaming that we take for that we take for granted yeah and it's yeah and that's i think that that also ties into the um it ties into the the language the game uses when it's talking about itself as well. So we talked about some of this already, but like the, the fact that they have these acronyms for things as dumb as some of them are. And it's like, Oh, this is a pan and this is a pow and this is whatever. And it's our personal area network. And they have to spell them all out as well. Cause nobody mm. knows what they are, uh, who's watching or, or playing the game. Um, but that is the same thing for me. It feeds into this idea of a, a real world because humans love doing nonsense like that like when you listen when you look at how certain departments government departments or even private company departments are named it's like somebody's worked really hard to make that an acronym even though that might not be the most efficient way to name that department so it's like oh this is a yeah this interacts with your pan oh yeah your personal area network and it's like that's there's a different way of saying that but that wouldn't create a nice neat acronym Mm. and so as cheesy as it is for some of those in the game and some of they definitely play with it as well and make it you know a bit ridiculous it's also it is just also like well yeah the real world kind of works like that that's that is what people do they are intent on making the, making this nonsense up so yeah. yeah it's it is that living breathing world thing it is i mean it, all of this is feeds in hopefully to why the first hour of metal gear solid is is amazing like what yeah. it does for the game what it does that other games don't do um there's yeah and there's more of course more far more beyond that 
first hour as well that uh it carries on delivering it's not like it drops off a cliff after that so um yeah, yeah. if you haven't played metal gear solid which lots of people probably haven't it's quite difficult to play now you can play it on gog um there's a bit of fiddly setup with a with the controller but it's definitely worth playing and uh and yeah and and its sequel which we'll talk about in a couple of weeks right Yes, so, I mean, we have to wrap up now anyway, because the video that I've recorded is about to end on Ocelot. Yep. <laughs> um, so that's Spoiler. all we're allowed to talk about. Um, so, yes, we'll be back in, a f- in what, two episodes time, three episodes time for Metal Gear Solid 2. Uh, otherwise, thank you for listening. Uh, do follow us on social media. We are at Indie by Design or visit IndieByDesign.net and you can see all the info on the books that we've made and get yourself some copies. Otherwise, see you next week. 